everybody. Welcome back to the program and welcome to episode 96. Okay, guys, back again, of course. Um, as we kind of discussed on the last podcast, um, Darcy and I were, you know, she was kind of halfway through the podcast. We were talking about just her life and kind of her family. And uh, obviously her husband was a major focal point on how she got through and continues to get through what she's, um, you know, battling and so on. So, uh, and she mentioned her husband to have on. And I said, well, let's just have him on the next episode. Um, but more than just, you know, obviously what he means to her story, but to others as well, because, uh, as I said, one of the focal points of this kind of season or whatever you want to call it is that I wanted to focus on a lot of people who have helped people with disabilities and the the ones that kind of get overshadowed and, and, and kind of their outlook and their viewpoint from what, uh, what the other person's battling because they're not going through every little uh, they're not going through most of the physical stuff. It's more mental and, and, and so on there, but their lives are definitely deeply impacted in multiple ways. And, uh, he and I had a conversation the other night and it was a, a really good conversation, but it was also just fun to not even not really fun, but just nice to hear, uh, where he stands. And so I, I knew I had to have him on anyway. So, uh, so yeah, why don't you, you know, tell us your name and, you know, obviously a little about yourself. Okay, well, thank you, TJ, for the opportunity to to talk about all this. Um, my name is Mark Steiner, and I'm Darcy's husband. Obviously, we've been married now for about thirty years, um, and uh, I have, as you said, really had the opportunity to, to walk with her through a lot of the things she's experienced. Right, uh, and. Just as you said as well, it's it's different to uh, be with somebody who's suffering than it is to suffer. Uh, there is a form of suffering you go through when you care about somebody who's struggling. Um, you know, most people who do suffer uh, have people around them uh, who are watching and a lot of times wondering what to do, how they can help, uh, hoping they don't do anything that's not helpful. And so uh, I'm really glad you're, you're giving me a chance to speak to that because uh, early on when I went through this with Darcy, I didn't feel like I had very many resources to help me understand what's going on and how to respond to it. So um, I think it's great that you're providing people with some insight into that from a lot of different people, uh, not just me, but others who could certainly have perspectives I don't have. And so I, I love what you're doing. I, I'm grateful for a chance to participate in it. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, so two things I kind of want to focus on before we kind of get to the, you know, whatever, meat and potatoes, the, the her story. Um, I want to kind of get to, like, know you more before – because I want to kind of get into the mind of like how you became who you are. Did you have, because I believe you kind of talked about your, your family. Um, and the two things I want to cover is, you know, what kind of what prepared you for her, but also, you know, you as a guy looking for love and what you kind of imagined it would be. And, you know, cause we all think we know what we're looking for and then something hits us and it's like, Oh, that's kind of, but 
in a different realm. Um, so yeah, and you t- you talked about like your family and, and I, some stuff with your parents and stuff. So wh- what do you feel like prepared you for Darcy before actually getting to her? Okay, yeah, it's a good question. Um, not much. <laughs> in <Okay>. some ways, <laughs> you know. Um, I mean, you would you would think the the perfect preparation for taking care of somebody would be the perfect family. I mean, the one where uh, the you know, the parents are present. They're uh, they love one another. They set a good example for you. They walk with you through your stages as you're growing up on how to uh, love people and how to uh, deal with your selfishness and um, that sort of thing. And uh, that was almost completely lacking for me. I mean, I always felt loved by my parents, but uh, my parents divorced when I was 11 years old and my older brother moved out and my uh, sister went to live with my dad. So it was just me and my mom. And there were years of pretty uh, troubling fighting and uh, emotional problems that had gone on before the divorce. So uh, it wasn't an ideal preparation by any stretch. And if anything, it ended up, teaching me more just to be self-reliant and to find, uh, figure out ways to meet my own needs without having a lot of people involved to do that. So, you know, as, as a kid, the, the form that took is I just, uh, became very outgoing in, in terms of trying to collect friends. And so I kind of became uh, the leader of the gang, so to speak of about six or seven other young guys. And we, just did things together. And I was the one that would usually organize that because everybody else had families that were a whole. I was the only one in the group whose parents weren't together. So, um, you know, that was my coping strategy as a, as a kid. But, um, as time went on, it gets more complicated. Relationships are, are harder to navigate as you get older and, uh, girls come into the picture and you're trying to figure out that. And, uh, yeah. So, um, you know, I struggled through that, uh, really regret some of the ways I treated the young women that I had um, developed relationships with, but I really didn't have uh, really anyone teaching me how to do it. So I was just sort of figuring it out as I, as I went. And so, um, you know, it's not that my parents or my family were bad, but it, it just wasn't the ideal preparation, except for, I think one, one side of it was, which was that I, I really wanted close relationships and I, I really valued that because sometimes you value things more when you don't have them and you see other people having them and, and you want what they have. So I think that ironically was a positive that I drew from that is, uh, then and even to this day, I just really, really treasure relationships and um, and don't want to lose them and, and love trying to build them and trying to strengthen them. So ironically, I think that was uh, maybe something that helps me through what we've gone through over the past few years. 
Was there a party that wanted to kind of do better because they did get divorced and things kind of fell apart for whatever reason? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, because I, I saw what had happened to everybody in the family. I, I don't think any of us kids were very well equipped to build good lasting relationships and had to um, figure that out. But it, it was pretty obvious that it would sure be better if we had had that. So yeah, I think I was really motivated to want to provide that for my wife and for my kids. Should I have a family someday? I think, I think there was, that was part of the motivation. Right. Did you have any experience of any sort of caregiving or, or any, uh, I don't know, any experience with, you know, some sort of physical ailment with anybody in your family, yourself or anybody before Darcy? No, none. Um, I was pretty healthy. So was, so were my parents. And, um, other than an athletic injury here or there with my friends, it was, you know, no deaths, uh, in the family or anything. So I was pretty much clean slate when, uh, you know, things finally changed and, and Darcy was, became someone who really needed a lot of caregiving. Right. So before you, you met her, what, what, what do you I mean? I know you said you were, you know, I think someone once said like, you know, you kind of aren't the right part. You're not, you're the, the person you want to be when you're with all these other people, these flings and so on. But once you meet the right person, that's kind of how you, that's how you know how to act and be the right person you always wanted to be. Um, cause they, mm-hmm. they bring it out of you. Um, like before her, what was your like ideal, even if it was like a month or so, whatever, before you actually came in contact and met her and, you know, you were attracted to her, what was your like ideal of, of, of love and, you know, what did you want from uh, a partner? Okay. Yeah. Um, I think there was sort of a conscious level of that and there was kind of an unconscious level of that, um, looking back because on the one hand, I, I had, I, f- I had very real needs. I felt I-, I wanted to be, I wanted to be loved. I wanted someone to, uh, really think of me as someone they wanted to be with that, uh, enrich their life. I mean, I, re- I wanted to, uh, have someone that I felt strong feelings towards and, and could just love being with. I think kind of a fairy tale sort of a perspective, I, but a lot of it I think was what I wanted mm-hmm. to get out of the relationship more than what I wanted to give to it. I think on a, maybe a level I didn't re- wasn't really aware of. Uh, I wanted real depth in a relationship. I didn't I didn't want just someone to do things with or or uh, someone you know, to just have good times with or that kind of thing. I, I, I wanted real deep connection. Right. Well, I think a lot um, of times, especially as guys, when we go down that road, cause I'm at that point now and I'm, you know, sometimes we settle for whatever because we're looking for that deepness and we're looking for so much more, but there's very few people that could give it to us. And if you go, th- you navigate your whole life, and you look through every person in your phone and, and every person you've ever come in contact with, you know, maybe 10 people come up where you're like, 
those people I know I'll love and they'll never go anywhere and, and so on and so on. And then, so then when, when you start to run into all of these girls and you start to kind of, you get certain parts of what you want, but you never get the whole thing. You could, you could go down 10 girls and they all have like two qualities, but if you put them all together, they'd be the perfect girl, but mm-hmm. they're not. And so then you're, you kind of eventually start sacrificing, you know, you're like, well, I just, I'd rather get laid or I get to get this. It's not my intention. It's not what I wanted in the beginning, but I'd rather, you know, spend time with somebody than be lonely, even though this person isn't my ideal match. So you start mm-hmm. to, yeah, you start to kind of take care of your needs before you actually take care of the actual, the bigger picture because being lonely mm-hmm. sucks and laying there and wanting a connection or whatever. It sucks to just want that. So you rather get something out of it, um, which isn't great, but it may be, it, it is a good, uh, trial period to kind of figure out exactly what you need in the, in the person that you fall in love with and end up being with forever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're all, we're all so unprepared to have a, a really great relationship. And I, we just have to go through that process of, figuring out what, who we are and figuring out what we want. And, and I think maybe coming off the, the mountaintop and, and realizing that, you know, nobody's perfect, including us and that there will, it's realistically, there are going to be things about a person that we commit ourselves to that aren't maybe what we imagined or aren't, aren't ideal, but, uh, I, I, I don't think there's, I, I don't, I can't, I don't believe most people ever find somebody where everything just falls into place and everything is, is perfect. And, and that's fine because we're not ever going to be that either. <laughs> right. I don't think to someone else, uh, we have our strengths and weaknesses and, um, I think part of building the ability to have a great relationship is to learn how to accept someone else's weaknesses and shortcomings uh, in a good way, not, not bad ones and in a kind of a overly dependent or helpless way. But uh, I think that that's part of just maturing to the point where we, we can have a lifelong relationship ideally because we're, we're, our, expectations aren't unreasonable yeah you hope they're not um <laughs> yeah and again like i guess we just especially just as guys going through our mindset like we you know they always say in the, in the early on like as a young person you're looking for quality and not quantity or quantity not quality and then when you get older you start looking for what you really want uh and mm-hmm. usually that has to do with like sexually and all that but in general like i mean again life is funny and it ends up going wherever it goes. But you know, you, you have all these relationships and you hope to, if you're lucky enough and, and you meet all these people and you, you get little pieces out of every person, you know, there's girls that I intended to be sexual with or, or date. And, and then we became great friends and now they're married or dating people. And I'm just happy for them. And I don't see, I don't see myself ever wanting to be with them. I just see them happy and, and they're my friend and they, they give me things that I want. It's just, it's not what I initially started it off to be. Um, it's, mm-hmm. it, it's, you know, but again, there's all these people that kind of impact your life and it goes back to, you know, the, the people that brought you into this world, your mother and dad and everybody that comes along and then you, 
it kind of transitions into the person you want. And you, again, they come along and then you have this idea of what they look like or what they're going to be because you think your type is this and that. And then they have many variations of what you want, but they also have some stuff that you never thought they would ever bring to the table because it's, you know, it's it wasn't important to you because I think a lot of people think you have to have everything in common. And I think that's the most ridiculous notion ever because I don't want everyone to be just like me. I want someone to bring something new, especially when it comes to like entertainment issue, you know, like music or, or whatever. Like I want to listen to new stuff. I want someone to bring me on to a new world. I don't want to just step back into my life because mm-hmm. I, I already have problems with it as it is. I don't want to have live. I don't want to date me. Um, so yeah. Um, but what, what do you, you know, what, what was like your, like, how did, let me go back. How did, how did you meet her? Well, we, we were actually on dates with different people. Oh, Um, yeah. And in neither case were they serious relationships. They were just friends. And, uh, but, uh, these two individuals along with some other folks had, had thought up the idea of having a group date, uh, with a theme. And so the theme of the date was, uh, the movie Casablanca. Okay. And so we're, everyone was supposed to dress up uh, to the best of their ability and whatever in their minds they thought people in Morocco dressed like. Okay. Um, probably no one in Morocco would recognize the way we were all dressed, but, you know, we did our best. So, And then they made some uh, Moroccan food, and uh, at the end of the day, we watched the movie. So I, I think there were about six couples, and... Uh, because each of our dates, Darcy and my dates, were organizing the the event. They were in the kitchen cooking and busy uh, organizing things and left the two of us just sitting at one of the tables together. And we had never met before. And so we just got talking. And the more we talked, the more I got interested in uh, having another talk, you know, having a date and getting to know her better. So uh, it was even a little bit hard to pay attention to the date I was on right. <laughs> when they came back because I was I was really clicking with Darcy. So how, uh, how that's how we met. That? And I was I was thirty. Okay. I was thirty years old. Did you yeah. get Did you get those like young guy like butterfly? T- like, did you know something was up, or was it just like, oh, this was a nice person to talk to, and who knows? No, I. I it, it, I really, something really clicked right from the start. Uh, at that point I was interested in, uh, another person who wasn't in that group, uh, and beginning to pursue that relationship. But Darcy really kind of caught me unawares. And so the more I did see her and talk to her and get to know her, the more I was really focused on seeing where that would go. So, uh, uh, after that, I don't think I dated anyone else, and I, I don't think she did either. We just started really getting focused on one another. Awesome. Um, she got, now, all her trauma and stuff, everything that that happened after you guys were married? That's right, yeah. Okay, so talk about, like, what what made you want to propose to pro, blah, can't speak today, propose to her? Um, you know, the she really 
embodied a lot of things I was looking for. I mean, she she's a very loving person, and she that, that really impressed me early on because that was a very obvious character strength she has, just how giving, caring she was to not just me, but everybody around her. She was just really amazing that way. And I loved that about her. And we just had a good, we just had a good chemistry. Uh, I just liked being with her. And because of our, some past experiences we've, we shared similarly, uh, we really got each other Mm. and including some difficult things that we'd been through. We, we really understood each other better than I think a lot of people did. So we had some common ground there. Um, we're not, I don't think, I wouldn't say we're the same kind of person. I think I'm, I'm more of a, um, I think she's more practical than I am. I'm a little more uh, dreamy. I'm more of a dreamer than she is. Mm-hmm. She's, very organized, disciplined, detail-oriented. Um, but that's the balance. Opposites attract. What's that? That's kind of like the balance, though. Like, because that's why I said, like, if, if you balance each other out, the, the whole like what you lack or what she lacks, the other kind of picks up, and uh, it's kind of what makes it a relationship. If you're both the same, I mean, sometimes you may just, you know, like if, if if you want certain things in life and she wants the same things, and maybe you're maybe it becomes uh, competitive and. Uh, you're trying yeah. to do each other, but you actually, you're in one lane, she's in the other, but you meet in the middle and you both kind of want similar things. It's just, you're different in, in other ways. Yeah. You, you kind of cover off each other's blind spots in a really good way. Yeah. Uh, but it, you know, I don't want to, but not to overstate that because it does, there are, there are ongoing as years go by, there are ongoing, uh, disagreements and, how to do things. And so it does, uh, it does inject some friction that you have to get used to. And you, you have to realize that's what's happening sometimes and not overreact to it and, and keep on doing what you were talking about, which is valuing it as opposed to being irritated by it. Right. Well, communication is so key. Like, I think you need to have those arguments because you got to know what ticks, like what, what each other's yeah. ticks are. Because you, you, you tend to, that's why a lot of these people jump into these relationships. And that's what we were talking about the other night about how marriage is, you know, 49% or whatever, 48 or whatever it is, stay together because none of these people know each other. They don't live with each other. They don't, you know, maybe they, you know, get knocked up and, and they have a kid together. And then it's like, okay, that's why we're staying together. That's why we should get married. And it's, it's never for the right reasons. Uh, and, and so you have to argue, you have to know what really bothers each other. And, you know, when you get to certain parts where, I mean, you've gotten to, you guys have shared this crazy life now, but you know, it kind of prepared you for this. Cause if you didn't know her and you know, maybe you wouldn't have stayed if it wasn't for all the love that she showed beforehand and, and you got to know her in and out. Um, if you just mm-hmm. knew her on a basic level and you guys were just in the beginning stages of your marriage, it probably wouldn't have lasted. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I hear you. I think a lot of people don't 
recognize warning signs or they don't. I think a lot of people don't really um, know themselves very well. And so if you know your to the degree I think you really even know who you are, you're going to do a lot better in finding someone you're compatible with. You know, for example, if you have had a troubled relationship with your one of your parents, um, and you, ha- you know, and it makes you, it sort of leaves its mark on you. It's good to know, to recognize that. Right. And then you can, uh, Realize, I mean, cause, you know, a lot of people, they'll marry someone like, a lot of men will marry someone like their mother, or a lot of women will marry someone like their father, because right. it's kind of familiar. But uh, if you don't know yourself very well, you might miss the fact that uh, you really have a problem with your mother, or you really have a problem with your father. And, and that's, even though it's familiar and comfortable on one level, it can spill problems as you as years go by, and you realize, oh, right. I can't believe I, I'm history's repeating itself here. I see. I've found it where now, just a little later. I mean, I'm 33 now, but well, 33 in two days. But um, I found it just like even the people that I love the most, or people that I've just despised, or whatever. If they they all kind of have good and bad qualities. Like my family, uh, you know, I love my family my mom, my grandma, and some of the people I've met, but there's a lot of closed-mindedness. There's a lot of racial and, and just kind of bigotry that goes within my family, and I do not like that. I've never liked that. I've always sure. been about yeah. just equality and, and just people getting along, even if it sounds hokey or whatever, uh, especially having a disability and seeing how being how what it's like to be mistreated for something you can't help. Um, mm. And so, but they, but they have great qualities. Like, I see people that may hate me for whatever reason, but it doesn't mean they're all bad in every single way. You know, I think some of the worst people in the world had good qualities. Some of the best people, some of the best people had worse, really bad qualities. We're not all good. We're not all bad. So I think you, if you want to adapt to the people that have come through your life, you just kind of take the good qualities and you delete the bad ones. Um, mm. So yeah. And, and then, you know, I mean, that's what I've done. I mean, it works for me, I guess, but you know, um, I, I wish, I wish that was more common than it is because, uh, I totally emphatically agree with you that yeah. no one, you know, everybody has these, these good and bad qualities and, um, we have to be tolerant of one another, not, yeah. not so in intolerant of people's weaknesses or differences. Well, we, uh, we live I in an age you. where someone, if someone says something bad 30 years ago, it comes back to haunt you. And now you're a racist or now you're homophobic or you're now you're one of these things and anything can be taken out of context. Anything. I mean, years and years go by and you're trying to tell me people don't progress and people don't learn and people don't become better people. And so we're just in this time now where no one just evolved. We don't feel like anyone really evolves because we just take them for a couple mm. words and a soundbite or a couple words. And we just say that's, that's them in a nutshell. But you know, they, they said once the Hitler was very charitable. That doesn't mean that makes him a good person, but it also didn't mean he didn't do anything good. Yes. And he did it for people who look like him, but you know, mm. you know, there's people that are great fathers, but are horrible husbands, you know, there's right. or vice versa. There's people that are just great at something and they do, you know, maybe they're charitable, you know, the, 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 we, you know, I live in Pennsylvania, the guy, uh, Sandusky, who is the, the, uh, right, the Penn state Penn guy. State guy. Yeah. yeah. And 
he was very charitable to children. Now I'm not, I'm not even doing with the, the dark joke that yes, he screwed shot. Yes. He was horrible to children, but he did a lot of charitable things to organizations for children that he put a lot of money into. I'm not saying his sadistic ways that that gives him a pass for that, but he did a lot of great things for children who needed homes and, and just, you know, whatever. And so you can't delete one without the other. So you can't just say he was all bad because he did horrible things. He did some good things and you just go, okay, well, I mean, cause you can't do what you want to do. You want to take the money back for all the children he helped just because he's a, he's a piece of shit of a human. No, you have to, mm-hmm. you, you just take it for what it is and you, you move on. But, um, so that, you know, that, that's, I don't know. I think we just, we live in a world where people are so judgmental of what others do when we don't really reflect it on ourselves and say like, look at all the horrible things I've said, even in joke format or <laughs> with my friends, just joking, just, you know, goofing off and saying, Hey, you this and blah, blah, blah. And then if someone overheard that who wasn't in our circle and they're just going to, mm-hmm. they're going to, if they identify me as everything they just heard, they just think I'm a horrible person. No matter how much good I mm-hmm. put into this world, they just think I'm a terrible person because I said this one bad thing that they didn't like or resonate with. Yeah. Um, yeah. so anyway, uh, back to you. So, before you guys got, while you guys were getting married, did you have kids before or after? Uh, after we, uh, we had, our first daughter was born three years after we were married. Did you guys plan it? Like, did you really want have to want to have kids or did it just kind of come out of nowhere or the first time? Um, no, we, we planned it. Um, she was ready for it before I was, <laughs> but, uh, I, I came around and so we got to a point where we felt like we had had good time together and built a good foundation. And, um, you know, at that point I was, I was 33 and, uh, she was 30. So felt like, um, it's a good time to get, get started. Awesome. Um, so when they say that whole, you know, you get married for better or for worse, what did that, what did that mean to you when you first heard it? Or, you know, whatever, it, it just, when they said it to you, like, what did you initially think? Like, what is the worst in your mind? Right. Yeah. No, it, I, I had no real idea of what that would mean other than on a very superficial level that something bad would happen. Like uh, could it happen, an accident. Or, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it made perfect sense that we would be there for one another on an intellectual level that, well, yeah, if something happens to her, I'll be there for her and stick with her. And if something happens to me, she'll do that. And, and so there's a, you get a little sense of security from that, that you're not going to be abandoned if uh, something really tragic happens, Yeah, but you don't expect it to happen. There's, at that point for us, there was no reason to think something was, uh, like eventually occurred was ahead of us. Um, so I, and come to think of it, she, Darcy had had some health challenges that I was aware of. She had had some really bad headaches, migraine type things. Uh, and I, I, I remember thinking, well, her life's pretty stressful as a single. Maybe it'll stabilize a little bit when we're married. Maybe that will help with that. 
And so I think I hoped that that would change without being certain it would. I just hope that that would get better as we had kind of a stable well, we, we relationship. Say, and, uh, we say a lot of these like affirmations. We say a lot of these things out there that we don't really like, even like someone sneezes, you say, God bless you. Like no one really thinks to know where any of this stuff comes from. They just say it. And it yeah. just, even if you kind of know what it means, you're just like, you just say it like to death do us part. Like you say that it sounds great, but you're just saying it. And let, the only way you can back it up is if you guys live together forever and you know, but you say it because that's the thing to say. You go along with it. Yeah. And you know, just like what I was just asking you, like, you know, what, what could break your marriage up? Well, you're, you're so happy. You're, you're in bliss and you're in this great state of mind and you don't know what's coming down the road. So you just say, yeah, <clears throat> of course, like this is, we're never going to break up because I don't expect you to slip on a piece of paper and your whole life changes. And now I got to yeah. do all these things for you. You're just thinking, yeah, this is us. This is how we're going to be for the rest of our lives. And I'm happy. And, um, and so, yeah, it's funny that we say all these things, but we never really kind of consider what the, the full meaning of it is other than just yeah. what the surface part of it is. Just like, okay. That's yeah. What and I'm not, and I'm not sure we could either. I mean, no, no. unless, unless we've had experience already, Right. Which I hadn't, but you know, with that kind of a of a event in our life, uh, it's all just hypothetical and um, and unlikely. I, nobody expects that, or we all think we're gonna be on. Uh, I don't know, but if we all, but I, I, I think a lot of people think that that won't happen to me. That that only happens to other people. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the day of her first fall with the, the slipping of the paper and all, what, how, how many years into your marriage were you guys, like how long were you guys together? Uh, let's see. We got married in 1991 and that was in 2000. So we we're nine, nine years into being married. Okay. Um, you were at work, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. So take us through that. I believe you got a call, but how, how did, how did that all, I mean, from your point of view, I know what she told me what happened from hers, but, um, what happened with you? You know, I don't think I really realized how bad it was at first. Um, and I'm not sure she did either because I don't think she immediately became so disabled. I think it, it sort of set in over a, a short period, but not that day. So it, okay. I don't recall a sense that life's changed today. Right. More that, okay, this happened. It happens. People get better. Uh, I don't think it really sunk in how life was about to change right away. Right. So to, to um, you, she just fell and she just was kind of in bad shape at the moment, but it'll pass, you know, after some, you know, right. rest and painkillers or whatever. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not feeling her pain and right. she's, uh, she's in pain, but I don't feel it. So I'm not nearly as aware of what's happening as much as I may have wanted to be, but, uh, I mean, she hadn't broken a bone. She hadn't ended up in the hospital. So, um, you know, it's going to get better. It sucks that it happened, but she'll get better. Was I think my mindset. Right. 
Well, because I talked to her, she said she didn't go to the hospital for a long time to even get a diagnosis because she just kind of took it on. And um, and I guess I guess if she feels that she's okay with it, even if she's hiding some of the pain, you know, yeah. you're not going to be very adamant about going to the ER if if, if she says it's okay because it's her body. Yeah, and there's a little denial in there too. Is I, I don't want this to be a serious problem, so I'm not going to think about it that way unless there's a more evidence than there is. So when, <laughs> right. So when did the realization kind of sit? And you don't have to give me an exact day or time frame, but I mean, what, what, when, how far in did you start to really kind of consider something may be wrong? Whether it was just your feeling or she was actually projecting it to you? Well, there was, there came, there did come a day later where things were really, really a specific day where things really got worse. And I remember, um, she was sitting on the bed and asked, seemed kind of out of it and, and asked for some water. And I gave her a cup of water and her hand was shaking so bad. The water was just spilling out all over the place. So that was that was sort of the first clue to me that th- this this is serious because that's that's scary. Um, yeah, and funny that the same evening, two other things happened, which was uh, one of our daughters, who was about two two and a half, maybe she had gotten really sick, and so she was feverish and was, was really in a bad way. And then my other daughter came home from being with friends and was sort of horsing around and fell and, and bashed her head against a table. What a day. <laughs> and so all three of these things are happening at the same moment is one kid crying cause she's sick. One's crying cause she's hurt. And here's my, uh, my wife just kind of having a physical breakdown so uh, we all got in the car and went to the emergency room. And in retrospect, I'm I'm kind of surprised I didn't get arrested. Why is that? <laughs> well, because all you know, it just it could have easily looked like everyone was reacting to me in oh, some way. Oh. Maybe I'd been. Wait, do you went you to know, ER for I'd, all three of them? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. We all okay. went at once. Oh, okay, I thought it was just for your wife. Okay. No, we we all went together, and and uh, but. They, yeah, it's a little fuzzy now because it's been 20 years, I guess. But I, they, you know, she came home and uh, then is when it really started getting worse. And she became, uh, was communicating more of the pain she was in and becoming less and less um, able to function. And so that meant for me, I, I had to pick up more and more um, of what she normally did, which was a lot. I mean, she, she, she had, was doing some in-home childcare, but obviously taking care of the kids during the day and uh, doing a lot of things around our house. And so as she became more and more unable to do that, uh, you know, some things had to, had to slip and then I had to do more things on my own. And I, I had just started my own business, uh, shortly before this. And so, 
I had also tried to get that off the ground and um, all this happening at once was, was pretty tough. So the, the initial injury wasn't the day where things started going downhill, but uh, this other day where I think she, she had just reached the point where she couldn't um, hide it or couldn't, couldn't really overcome it anymore. And, and the disease she had gets worse with time. And so that's what was, it was just beginning to go snowball and get, get worse and worse. Was there, was there moments where you thought there was something worse, but you know, maybe she just played it off better and, and, and it just went away like, Oh, okay. It was just a thought in the back of your mind. Was there little moments where you're like, I don't know, something's really up. And then maybe, like I said, time passed or, or she did something to kind of play it off to where it didn't, <clears throat> you, you kind of gave up on that thought. Hmm. Um, I, uh, I don't remember really having a sense that it was as bad as it was until Until that day, that moment in time. Cause at that point that just drove it home that this, this is a big deal. Right. And, uh, maybe I was just not tuned in just to tune into my own things. But, um, yeah, it wasn't until that, that evening where we all went to the emergency room where I was really aware that, that there was serious problems going on. What is it like to be there and know someone that you love and have been around and you know their their best parts of them? And like, what is it? What is it like to watch someone you love like deteriorate in front of you? Uh, it's it's horrible. Um, and you're help, you feel a helplessness when there's nothing you can really do. And so the two together are really a tough combination because you see someone you care about in just excruciating pain. And at the same time, despite your best intentions, you just, you try whatever you can do and it just doesn't help. And that's, there's an emotional side to that where you get more and more uh, no, frustrated isn't the right word. You get more and more anxious yourself because it's, it, it's, you're realizing you're helpless. You can't fix it. Right. Well, I know, I know you're a really religious person. Was there ever a time where you just kind of wondered, you know, why God was doing this to your family? Or to her, even, per se? Well, the, the thing that, uh, yes and no, because there were certain things that didn't bother me. I, I never felt like we were being punished for something. Right. Uh, I never felt like we had done something wrong. So that, some people feel that when, when things like this happen, they... Yeah, they, they feel like it's it's some sort of retribution for stuff they've done. I, I never felt that way, okay. um, and I never doubted the goodness of God, despite what I was seeing. The thing that I had a hard time figuring out is, oh, why is this happening? Mm-hmm. You know that that w- there's got to be a good reason, and I don't get it. And 
that became a real uh, kind of a desperate, but in the end, I think a really positive journey for me is looking at suffering and wondering how can this be redeemed in a sense? How can something good come from something so bad? Right. And that was a question I'd actually been wrestling with for a long time, um, even in my younger years. And, and that that's kind of an important part of the the story, I think, is I, I because of my background, I, I I had I had witnessed some hardship that the family had gone through, mm-hmm. and began to to really question. Well, how, where is you know, how, how can you prevent this kind of thing, or how can you fix it? I, I don't know if I was really specifically thinking that when I was younger, but the form it took for me was I really wanted to figure out what was good in life. How how do you find what's good and how do you define it and how do you live it and how do you uh, just make it a part of your life? So as I passed through high school and into college, the form that began to take for me was I became really interested in politics. Mm-hmm. And I should, I should clarify uh, for this first part of my life, I didn't believe in God and I, I wasn't a Christian. I, I um, actually in college thought of myself as an atheist and a, uh, at one point I decided I was a democratic socialist. Okay. And so I was really convinced that the way to find good in the world and promote it was through politics, was through good laws, good policies, good uh, government. Mm-hmm. Um, so I became a political science major, and then, and this this is relevant. So I'm not I'm not just going on my own biography no, here because I be think you. it's relevant. Do your thing. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I did some traveling uh, during my college years and actually spent some time in Southeast Asia and in Indonesia and Malaysia, Singapore, Thailand, and India. And, the, you know, I'm 62 now, so this was a long time ago. This was back in about 1980. Um I got really interested in the Vietnam War, which is had really only concluded in 1975. And during this period of time as well was when the Khmer Rouge were in control of Cambodia and, you know, the whole killing fields thing where they were uh, just exterminating anyone who had any part of the old regime and were trying to turn the country into just a completely agrarian com- uh, country. So um, I'm not sure everybody who's listening knows much about this history, but they uh, millions of people died in the course of that uh, effort they made to, to reconfigure their society. And so I became interested in, in what was going on. And so I found myself in 
1980 working in a refugee camp in Thailand for Vietnamese boat people and spent about six months doing that and then went back to college uh, because during that time, the Vietnamese had actually invaded Cambodia. They did that in, at the end of 1978 and uh, spent the next couple of years just clearing out the Khmer Rouge who all ended up in refugee camps in the border between Cambodia and Thailand. So my senior thesis, I decided, was some was I was going to propose a peace solution to what was going on in Cambodia because uh, it was just a mess. I mean, it was, you know, the, these refugee camps were controlled by warlords and they get shelled by the Vietnamese at night and then the volunteers, the United Nations and people go in mm-hmm. and uh, treat the people who've been wounded and set up orphanages and things. But it was just a, it was just a real mess what was going on at that time. So I sort of gravitated to that because of my desire to, to find a good, answer to these kinds of problems through politics. So um, between my junior and senior year, I got a thesis grant and I went over to to Thailand and spent the summer interviewing um, diplomats and uh, scholars and actually going to these camps and interviewing the refugees. So um, things sort of evolved and I met a bunch of young folks my age, I was 22, I think at that point. And they were volunteers in these refugee camps. And there was a big conference and I didn't know anybody. And I was there by myself and just living in a hotel and struck up a friendship with these, uh, these young men and women about the same age. And they kind of took me under their wing. They, they said, Hey, do you want to come over on Saturday or have dinner with us. And they didn't know that that was my 23rd birthday. <laughs> that time. Oh. So I was like, and I was getting pretty lonely at that point. So I was like, Oh yeah, yeah. I'd love that. And so, uh, they were, it was, they were part of a Christian relief organization and, but you know, they, and I wasn't a believer, but they were fine with that. And they, they treated me just like they did one another. And, uh, they actually offered to me to go to stay in their compound on the border uh, of Thailand and Cambodia and uh, have a place to stay where I'd, I could use this kind of a home base to do my interviews. So that was great. And I uh, went out there to that, to that compound and uh, went back and forth. And then one night I came back from my interviews and everyone was in the common room and they were having a Bible study. And I was like, Oh no, <laughs> Bible study. Oh, and I, but I couldn't get to my room because they were in like without disturbing the whole group, which I didn't want to do. So I just plunked down on the, on the edge. And, uh, so there was, they were nurses and doctors and one of the doctors probably about the age I am now and uh, this white haired guy and he, he was leading a, a Bible study and he was talking about one particular story where uh, there's a story of Jesus healing a leper. Right. 
And because of my travels over in India and Thailand and Malaysia, I'd seen a number, a number of lepers and it's, it's a really awful, uh, disease in a lot of ways, but because I'd, I'd seen that, it got, kind of got my attention and he's, he's, he started talking about not just the fact that Jesus healed this man, but the way he did it. And the phrase he said was filled with compassion. Jesus reached out and touched the man. And, you know, you wouldn't want to touch a leper even in those days. There, there were laws against that. But this word compassion really, really rung in my ears. And then he just stopped and he, and two or three times he just said, the compassion, the compassion. And he went on to talk about how important it was that as they treated these refugees who were wounded and orphaned and had gone through the, the killing fields and were just, just hurt in so many ways, how um, as much as their mission was to heal them, it was also to show them compassion. Mm-hmm. And something just really clicked for me. Uh, this is, I felt like this is what I'm looking for. Um, I want to find the goodness in the world. And this idea of compassion is, is just huge because there's so many hurting people and including me (laughs) and, uh, and this is what I want and need. And this is what I want to figure out. So that did become a big part of our story. My story is that I came back to finish my senior year in college and I, for the first time in my life was really seeking answers to spiritual questions, not just, you know, moral and ethical and political ones. I really wanted to figure out if it was true. I wanted to know it. And I, I looked up my, one of my friends who I used to mock and ridicule for his faith. And I, I said, Hey man, talk to me, tell me what, what you know, because I'm beginning to see this in a different light. And so the reason that fits into this whole story, TJ, and I know I've gone on a long oh, monologue here is, <laughs> is I, even before Darcy was, injured the the idea of connecting with someone who's suffering was really important to me right and not just in the not just because i'd suffered but also because the world's just so full of this misery mm-hmm. and uh if there's an answer for it i i want to be a part of it and this is how uh i think i began to get prepared for what happened in a way with Darcy in a way that enabled me to, to stick with her because this, this idea is just so such a, um, just something I value so much. I just want to be that and give that. And, uh, so when Darcy got hurt, (laughs) you know, there's my chance. And, you know, I, I want to be real about it, TJ. I don't want to, I don't want to make myself out to be something I'm not because as much as that was something I wanted to give her, it's, it's been an up and down, um, it's been an up and down journey for me. There's been times I've done it and times I've been pretty bad at it. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I think there's periods where I just focus on meeting her needs and on her pain and not the impact it's having on me. And there's been times when I've been able to just kneel beside her bedside and take her hand and look in her eyes and just be there, connect with her and not run away from it, not hide or uh, just focus on how it makes me feel. And then there's been times where I've been very different times. I, I can think of periods where I kind of treated her like kind of like the family pet, you know, where I, I fed her and I gave her, you know, I, I took care of her needs, but I didn't, I wasn't there emotionally. Was there some sort of like internal resentment of like, you let me, I have to take care of all this on my own now, the kids, her house, working, all that. Like, was there that sort of monologue going along in your brain? On and off. Yeah. I mean, there were times where, and, and, and that's kind of what I mean about focusing on how it made me feel is uh, I, any anyone would understand that her her situation was way worse than mine. Right. Uh, I mean, to be in so much pain and to suffer so much loss and to have to live with so much fear about the future and, uh, you know, in, in every category, I think her pain was just, 10 times worse than mine. Right. But it doesn't but take away funny. from your story. Cause like I said, you, you do get affected. You got affected even more than your kids because you know, you have to sleep next door. You have to, you know, their kids were too young at the, at least at the time. They couldn't do a whole lot for her. Um, yeah. And so you, and you have to take on the brunt of the, you know, to do F, do us part and all that. Like you have to take on the whole marriage contract that you signed. And, yeah. you know, as we, you and I discussed, the other day is just about the 50 50 thing. Um, mm-hmm. It's no longer at, at least especially early on of her, the 50 50 was more, you know, 80, 20 or 70, 30, whatever you want to call it, 90, 10, whatever on you, you have to take most of the, you have to work, but also feed your kids and you got to make sure she can yeah. function in life. And uh, I'm that, that doesn't, you can't just like brush that off and say like, oh, you know, my, I didn't have it hard because you did. It's because like, it's something you didn't, you signed up for, but mentally you didn't because you didn't know. Um, I mean, technically she's the leper that you were speaking of and it's something yeah. you always wanted to, you wanted to help and treat and take care of the people who are suffering, but you never thought it would be right next, right next <laughs> in your bed, right next to you in your bed. And, you know, you would have to, you know, it'd be something you would have to do for, you know, a long period of time in your life. Yeah. But you know what, this is, this is what I was referring to earlier as, as there's a, there's a, there's a way that this kind of thing can really make you better. I mean, it can make you worse and on and off it does, but there's ways it can make you better. And I, I'd really like to share that process Sure, because, because I think it's, it, it is an answer to the question I was asking, which is, how can good come of this, and why is this happening? How long and, have you been? Do- how long has she been? Is it like twelve years, something like that? Well, she the first the first thing that happened happened in year two thousand, and that lasted that was probably three or four years before the the chair before she fell she again. really imp- 
before she really improved. No, she she actually got better for yeah yeah I remember uh, a number yeah. yeah for a number of years and then and then the whole thing happened again about three years ago now. Oh, that's right. Okay. Um, yeah. So, so, so yeah. twenty. You've been so doing this about 20, 20, 21 years now with her. On and off. On yeah. And off, right? Yeah. So here's, and what you said kind of triggered this memory. So I'm glad you, you said what you said about this not being 50 50, but becoming more 60 40, 70 30, and right. all that. Um, I remember a marriage retreat I'd gone to where they talked about how in marriage it's a, it, there's a back and forth, and we make deposits and withdrawals as we relate to each other. And um, you have to be sure to be focused on making deposits, not just withdrawals. And so the, the idea was it's, it's a back and forth and, and hopefully more or less equals out. But when something like this happens, that, that model for relating kind of goes out the door. And, and so it became, I, I had to confront what am I going to do with that? I mean, she, she always did her best to, to continue to express love for me, but when so much of her energy was going into survival and uh, just getting through the day, there were, she just couldn't give. It, her, she couldn't make deposits very well, very often. And she did her best, but it just that's just reality. And so I, it began to make me look at it myself and, and ask myself, well, is this a transaction? You know, am I, am I going to love her based on how much I get back? Right. And is, is that what I would want if I was in her position? And is that the way love works? Is it's a, it's a transaction. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I didn't make, it didn't feel right to me. Um, it, that felt kind of cheap that, that's the way it needs to be. So I, it pushed me in a direction of trying to learn how I can just give and not expect anything in return. So kind of cut the strings in how I gave to her and not demand repayment, but just, just give it to her. So that was, that was a big step is to let go of the expectations of, getting back anywhere near as much as I was giving her. Mm-hmm. And again, I, you know, my, my performance along those lines was pretty up and down, but, but at least that became the, my mindset is I, I want to, I want to, I just want to give and, and not worry so much about what I'm not getting back. Right. So that was a big step. And, but then there came another step along the way, which was, uh, well, I think the thought that began to form in my mind is, well, at least she could be more grateful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I began to get this this thought that, well, yeah, I'll give more than I get back, but she didn't seem very grateful, or as much as I think she should. She's not constantly thanking me and expressing appreciation. Right. And then that became another whole level of loving is, can I, can I give even if she doesn't see it or recognize it? And, um, 
I was also noticing, and this is really important, that the people around us really, really didn't seem to have a sense of what this meant for me right. to be taking care of her. Yeah, there's a real and like selfish part of it because I I know exactly. And there's a lot of times I've done so many nice things, and you know I even hate saying it just because it sounds weird. But you know you do a lot of nice things, and then it kind of goes unnoticed, and it just happens. And I guess you just have to go with like, well, God saw it, or whoever, like somebody maybe saw it. But you know you don't you start to like want credit for it, and you start to like yeah. want people to just like like, hey, well I. I just want to let you know I, I changed the bed for you or I, I, I bought you this or I did. And you start to go like, I don't know, does that matter? Like, because you, you really want the gratitude and you want the congratulations for it. But it also like when you say it back to yourself, it's like, I want this. And you start to feel like selfish. You're like, ooh. Yeah. Like you start to yeah, really dwell on you and start to break down your character. Like, am I a good person? I know I'm a, a caregiver. I take care of her. And, but I'm also like wanting things that I know she can't give right now. Yeah. So, and this is what's beautiful. It's hard, but it's, it's beautiful about this is suffering really brings out the truth mm-hmm. in the people, not just the sufferer, but everybody around them. Right. It's really, it's really, it's like this x-ray and the way people react to people who are suffering is, is very revealing about who they are inside including me. I mean, and that, that's why I'm not wanting to condemn anybody who, you know, anyone who struggles with caregiving or, or isn't right. compassionate as much as they think they should be, or I think they should be because you, you, rec- you begin to realize that how much of what you do is, is selfish and how much of the ulterior motive is really not, isn't that loving. And then when this person starts suffering, that comes to the surface and it can really be a purifying thing. It can, it can, it can really change you. And when it's just, when it's relentless, when it's day after day after day, you get a lot of chances to either succeed or fail at it. Yeah, right. Well, we <laughs> and, live in a world where like everything is like instant gratification and, and, you know, you get something for something you give. And that's something we kind of have to learn as an adult because, you know, obviously, even if like a regular caregiver, someone who's not related to her, they get paid to do what they do. Even if they don't care mm-hmm. about your wife, even if they don't care about the job, they still get paid. They get something physical for doing what they do. Um, mm-hmm. And, and you know, when usually when you're nice to be, you hold a door, you expect someone to say thank you. And then when you don't, you realize you're in a world where a lot of people just are selfish and they're about themselves and they don't even acknowledge you and you're not there you get frustrated because you know you weren't brought up that way or that's not something you go by you're a person that says thank you you care when other people do things for you and then you watch enough television and stuff and you see people do things and they get great rewards for doing it and then Mm -hmm. when it comes to you as a person you're you do it and then you don't get it back and it's like what am i doing wrong and that's when you psychoanalyze yourself and it gets back to what did I do? What did I not do? And, um, and you forget all about the person in the bed who's in excruciating pain and and does love you and does care about what you're doing, but doesn't have the energy to give it back to you at the moment. Yeah. Well, and, and then there's the whole, and a whole nother dimension. That is the people that 
know you and your friends and family and you begin to see the same thing happen with them. I mean, this, this x-ray begins to bring out the truth about friends and family and neighbors and some family members you think would really be there for you, just ghost you. And some acquaintances that you don't even know that well, just come to you like angels. Mm-hmm. And you, you've got you've never done anything to deserve this much concern, and people just come and um, just care for you. Right. It's, and, it's weird because like you 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 don't know how to accept that from them, but the ones that you want it from, you don't get, and you're like, ah, oh, shit, like it's yeah. my problem. But then the people who are these strangers, whoever they are, they give it to you. And you're like, oh, I don't deserve that. I didn't give you anything. And then you, yeah. so that's kind of the, the, the whole cycle of it. It's like, you don't have to, you shouldn't do things yeah. based on wanting gratification or wanting something back. It's not a trade, especially when it's someone's life in the balance. You're not doing it for, you know, again, I know that that's why it's like a whole new, that's why you almost have to like write up a whole new contract for your marriage and realize like it's, it's something totally different. You get it. Yeah. Know, and you got to just go, okay, this is what it really is. This is, I didn't sign up for that, but I'm, I'm re, you know, it's kind of like a lease. You're re-signing up, but it's, it's yeah. now new words have been added to it. Um, yeah. 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 And, you know, so this, this is life for us at, at this, during this first phase of what she went through and which is that, uh, She's getting sicker and her pain's getting worse and her body is getting weaker and uh, no one can help uh, fix it. The, the doctors are at a loss. The medicines are not working. Um, she's losing weight and the emotional mental side is getting worse and worse. And, you know, there, there came a point and I remember this night very clearly where I just, I just, Oh, she had, um, her back was hurting her. Her spine was hurting her so much. And I, for whatever reason, I just got it in my head that I knew what was going on, that she must have bone cancer in her spine. And she had just had an X-ray and we hadn't got the results back yet. Mm-hmm. But, it, you know, I'm not a doctor, but I guess in my, just given where I was at, I just sort of concluded that she's going to die. Hmm. And I remember this night walking out in, into the darkness and just trying to accept that I was going to lose her. And my girls were, you know, three and five and they're going to lose their mother. And, and just this wave of despair that came over me. And in the midst of that, this thought came, um, really kind of a transforming thing. I mean, getting a little choked up just remembering it, but I just at that moment realized that I would be willing to live with this for the rest of my life if it meant that I wouldn't lose her. And 
Mm. It was just kind of this deep realization that uh, I just love Darcy and I'll pay any price if I can, even if it means just continuing with her being disabled, that's worth it. And I'll accept that. Um, you tend to learn a lot about yourself through, uh, I've said this many times, you, you learn a lot about yourself when you're in like the most pain mentally anyway. You, yeah, you learn a lot, yeah. like in the darkest places, you can find a lot of beautiful light and yeah, it just, you don't see it coming. It's just, I mean, cause thoughts run through your head all the time, good or bad. Sometimes they're bad and you're just like, oof, what was that? But yeah, sometimes uh-huh. when you're in the worst places and you can't pull yourself up and then just something just hits you and it's like. Oh shit. I just, yeah. I just changed. <laughs> like what happened? Yeah. 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 And, and you, it's so, it's so healthy to see the the good and the bad about yourself and to, <clears throat> to know where you're at. So, you know, you, you can get somewhere mm-hmm. from what, where you're at. And yeah. Was this night, was this before the second time? Or was this after the first? Yeah. Like, okay. So this was, this was before or after? This is during. This is actually during the first okay, whole episode. Right, I, I wanted to get to the second one too. So okay, no, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, and and so that, and the, the, that's kind of most of what I wanted to say about the first episode is it, it how it came about and and kind of kind of who I was going into that and then you know the the the, the ex, spinal X ray came back negative. It wasn't wasn't bone cancer in her spine. And, uh, and then she slowly started improving, I mean, over the course of a couple, three years, and then pretty much got back to, I'd say, about 90% of her health um, up until the second episode, and then things changed again. Right. Um, were you, I believe she said it was like a party, and she went to go get drinks or something, and were you, were you there when this all happened? I know you weren't there when she physically fell, but were you in the area of when she fell? Yeah, well, it was it was um, our older daughter's wedding reception. Okay, that's right. That's what it was. You're right. Yeah, and so the reception was over, and everything was wonderful, and we were just loading stuff in the car. So I was loading something in the car, and while she was still in the in the um, uh, hall where the reception was, uh this particular place had these big, heavy wooden chairs for people to sit in. Right. So not light metal chairs. Like you see someplace, these, these are big Oak things. And as everyone was cleaning the place up, they, they leaned them against the wall in rows. So there, there's this horizontal stack of chairs. And I guess, uh, as she was walking by one of these stacks, it gave way and the weight of all these chairs just shot out horizontally. And one of them just nails her right on the point of her ankle where she had had uh, the, the bad complex regional pain syndrome before that. And so it was just such a sharp blow, such a heavy object that, um, she she thought my ankle's broken. I mean, when I went in to find her, uh, she was she was actually walking out of the place, limping really heavily, and she's like, I, "I think my ankle's broken." And that was the event that set off the second 
chapter of all of the the suffering that she went through. Yeah, because she said there was a part where she she just knew that this was going to be a long road and everything was going to be different again, probably yeah. even worse. Yeah, and I you know I didn't see it that way at first. It's kind of like the first time I was a little bit in denial, a little bit just not able to really recognize what was happening. But um, she she knew her body and knew that this was about the worst thing that could have happened to in terms of setting off that same problem again. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I, I asked her this, it, it, you know, we, we kind of laughed about it, but also I'm like, I, I asked her like, are you like afraid of like everything in your house? Because I mean, the two <laughs> things that took her out was a chair and a piece of paper. <laughs> and it just seemed like just two freak accidents by two things that we come in contact with every day. I mean, I'm sitting in one of them, uh, maybe not that specific type of chair, but still, and you know, it, it's almost like every, I mean, she, she rebounded and, and got her life back to where it was maybe even better to some degree because she, she had this learning experience and she, she went through this and came out at the other side, a stronger person. And then something actually worse in a way, even though familiar, but worse. And, uh, yeah, I was wondering like, cause like, like with you, like, did you ever consider like, you know, every time you had a mess, did you always clean it up? You know, like with the piece of paper, like the paper, obviously it was a complete accident and you know, your kids just leaving paper behind. But I mean, did you, after these two times, did you like always look what was on the floor and, and always wonder, you know, what, what can I cause this again for her just on something I did stupidly? Um, yeah, I have become a lot more wary of, things like that. I mean, I, I, even just the other day, I spilled some water on the floor of our kitchen and, and that thought came to mind is picturing her slipping on that. Um, and yeah, I, I think it, it, it comes to mind a lot. It, it, I don't think to a, in a obsessive way, but, but yeah, I'm, I'm a lot more wary of things like that than I, well, I'm, I'm tuned in more to what potential threats are to her um, because she's fragile and things, something could happen. Yeah, exactly. So, so what, were, what was it like going through this, this second process? Obviously, it's three years ago, so this one's a lot more familiar to you. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so what was it like, obviously, going to the hospital and just all of this? I mean, because she already had her diagnosis. She knows what, what was ailing her at first. It took her a while to actually come to terms and get the doc- the diagnosis from the doctor. But now she has all mm-hmm. that. And now she, now she's going through it a second time. And, um, so yeah, where, where are you at mentally and how are you, like, what are you witnessing? Yeah. So things went downhill pretty fast after that injury. Um, and it in in some ways I think it was worse the second time. Right, that's for what her. I gathered from it, yeah. Yeah, I because the first time she seemed to kind of lose energy and um kind of seemed to be melting away, so to speak. This time it was more, 
I mean, just honestly, just writhing in pain, just uh, crying out, um, just just trying to figure out some way to get away from the suffering of the, this excruciating pain mm-hmm. without finding any escape. And the first time she had gotten pretty, pretty into some opioids that uh, she was able to thankfully get back off of. But so this time she was really adamant about not getting so addicted to the painkillers. And, uh, but it, it just became a much more moment to moment struggle to try to help her find some relief. So, I mean, we, we were just, you know, day after day, all day long, trying to find ways to make her better. So, you know, heat or ice. Um, I asked her. Getting a new. I asked her, like, the, what was the pain like? And she said she would just look out the window and cry profusely. And I asked her, I said, what was it like on a comparison to childbirth? Because she had two kids. She said she would have 30 kids anytime over that <laughs> because of how painful it was. Um, and that says something because I don't know how many women would say, God, I don't want to have any more kids because that was terrible. But um, yeah. if that kind of puts a, in your mind frame of how bad it really was for her. Um, yeah. Did she, did she show, I mean, I look, I mean, when you're going through so much pain, sometimes you, you just can't hide it. Like how does she ever, like, could she hide it in front of you and your kids? Yeah, to some degree. She's pretty, she's had a lot of experience with that. Cause I think she's also noticed that, that people can't take it. Um, people will withdraw. And sometimes that mean that includes me right. from, that they just can't handle even seeing it. So she can definitely hide it, but um, she wasn't able to for a lot of the second, a a lot of the time she, she, and some ways I, I, I could take more than I could the first time I think. And I felt like she needed to express it. So whether it was just crying out or crying or, um, just, you know, uh, different ways of expressing how frustrated she was, thrashing and things like you, that. Uh, how do you be there for her? Like, how do you, because you can't say it's going to be okay because you don't believe that and you know she's not going to believe you. But how do you, yeah. like, tell her it's going to be okay without actually lying to her? Well, what, one thing I learned is to not take responsibility for it in a bad way. So to not put the burden on myself that I can fix this Mm -hmm. because if I, if I take that kind of ownership um, and it's not working, that's, that's just one of the most devastating things you can feel is I can fix this and I'm not succeeding. Right. So I kind of had to be in it without without taking that blame for it not getting better. Right. And also understanding, this gets back to compassion, that 
I don't think she's even necessarily asking me to fix it, I, but I know she doesn't want to be alone in it. Mm-hmm. And I can really help her most by not running away and not shutting down and numbing out and um, kind of, or, or, you know, self-medicating and, and taking certain paths that a lot of people take. And I, I can't say I blame them yeah. to try to numb the, the pain they're experiencing. Um, right. I, I knew that she just needed my presence and to the degree I could really just be in it with her without it actually being in the pain, but by being present emotionally and, and physically that really meant a lot to her. So how much, um, how much were you challenged? Mm-hmm. I mean, you had that night of clarity and just heartwarming feeling of, you know, if she could just pull through this, I can live with her no matter what, uh, whether she's disabled or not. And obviously you didn't see a second stent coming. How much was that challenged now? I mean, that night, like you said that you would be with her, no matter what, um, and now it's maybe even worse. So, were, were you? Were, how are you challenged in, in those times? As far as from that night, you know what I. Or were you just I locked was, in? Were you just you? Were you? You meant that from that day on, and you never kind of wavered. I don't, no, I never. I, I've never seriously considered walking away. Um, I, I just think I have a, I have a source of strength now that at least so far, you know, has given me the ability to stay engaged with her and not, not sort of take that escape, um, Part of, you know, and I, I can describe that if you want. I mean, there's just sure. different pieces of that. But one one part of it is to not not focus on the future and, and, not, and, and to not get into these worst-case scenarios where I'm imagining, you know, day after day, year after year for the rest of my life being in that very same situation mm-hmm. and just taking things a moment at a time, kind of a day at a time. And uh, so not not taking the weight of 20 years on myself in the moment, because if, if I camp on how can I possibly endure this for 20 more years, then you're, you're trying to bear 20 years of, of trouble in one moment. And it's, it's just too much. So I, I, I've learned not to do that and to let go of the future and just focus on the moment. Right. Um, and, you know, there's, there is a source of strength I have from my faith that is hugely important because I, it gives me just perspective and it gives me um, a source of of my needs being met that 
she really doesn't have to worry about. And so I, I, I just do find a huge amount of strength from the faith I have that I have a, a God who loves me and sees what's going on and uh, is there with me. So I'm not alone and he's there with her. So we're together in this ordeal and that's huge to not feel alone as you suffer. It's just, it's huge. And it, and because of that, that, you know, when she's not meeting my needs because she can't, because her heart and her strength have to be focused on surviving. Um, I have a, I have really what I see as a, and, and consider to be a, a limitless source of strength that is just this fountain there for me. And it, and it has worked out that way. It's, it's really enabled me to, to stay in it and not run away from it. And have you been able to, appreciate, another, have you been, sorry, did you, have you ever been ever, have you been able to appreciate the times when she can meet your needs and, and she does, let's say has a good day and she can be affectionate and whatever, uh, have you been able to like stay in the moment and, and, and appreciate how much she actually has to yeah. give to give you that? Yeah. Yeah. In fact, it, ironically, despite everything that's happened, I, we are way more intimate in every way than we were, even though the, the, the her condition makes it the frequency of physical intimacy change and go way down the, the quality. I think because we've just gone close through being through so much together. Yeah, that's awesome. She's, yeah, I think she's come to trust me on a level that a deeper and deeper level. And I think I've come to just value our relationship on a deeper and deeper level. And, um, yeah, it's, 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 incredibly different than it was even in the earliest days where we were just sort of in the honeymoon stage and we're just, um, just so, uh, uh, I can't think of the word. We're just so enthralled with each other. Yeah. Just the bliss. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Uh. yeah. Now it's, it's based on something a lot deeper and, uh, it's just, it's just, so hard to imagine I could ever have that closeness with anyone else. Right. Well, um, it's really tr- it's something I really treasure. Well, what what is it, you know, and, and she, she mentioned it, so it's not, you know, she's already talked about, it, but what, what is it like to make her trust you on a level where you can wipe her when she's, you know, having to go to the bathroom and all these things. Like you have to look at her on a different level um, you really are her caregiver in a way you kind of have to go away from the husband angle. Uh, well, what is it like to kind of have to commit to that? Cause we all think that like, you know, our mothers or whoever dies, you know, they say, you know, we don't want our kids to die before us cause we need someone to take care of us. And you know, yeah. you having to take care of your wife, you, you know, again, you did sign up for this. So what, what is it? What is it? Yeah. What is it like to kind of actually be that vulnerable and, and watch her and take care of a, a person that you love and, and make her trust you on that level. Yeah. 
Um, you know, the, the, it just, it brings out, I think maybe the, one of the best versions of who I am to be put in the position of our, are, are you up to this and prove, show it and not her saying that, but, but maybe me saying that, or maybe just the situation saying that. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, yeah, honestly, it's, it's disgusting to empty someone's commode, but you know, Darcy to me is so much more than her, her body. I mean, she's a, she's a person. She's a, she's my bride. She's my um, best friend I've ever had. She knows me more than anyone. And, and this is happening to her. And I have power to meet this need if I'm up to it. And so, and if I'm up to it, it, communicate something to her that's really, really important that, that um, she's more, she means more to me than kind of the, the that's beautiful, yeah. uh, circumstances of, do you, of this do you think illness it, that she's going to. Do you think it's kind of like where, where parents say, you know, I have no interest in wiping anyone's ass, but my kids I can because I love them. Like there's a certain thing you have like you have no interest it's not something you take pride in but you love them so much and you know they can't do it themselves at least at that point in time yeah. um it, it just kind of translates to necessarily that or you know you just love them on a level they can't do it so uh yeah it's not something i like look forward to doing but if i have to then that's, that's what i gotta do it's part of my job yeah yeah and that's that's one of the things you have to overcome is you, you do you do sort you do visualize yourself doing that for a child easier than for a spouse. And yet that does, that's sort of interesting because, uh, you've obviously got it in you. Yeah. So, uh, why not if she needs it and can't do it herself? I mean, it makes sense to do it. it you just have to change your expectations, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and realize because of this thing that happened that this is, expectations need to be different right now like being a father and obviously you having to pick up some of the slack like did you have any kid like conversations with your kids of, of you know making sure they realize how strong your mother is and, and what she's overcoming because obviously she's keeping some from them because they're so young and doesn't want them to worry and all that but was there conversations had with them to make sure they knew like how amazing their mother is even though the mom she couldn't be the mom she wanted to be at least in certain moments Hmm. You know, to honestly constantly like keep her name like out there so they knew that their mom, I mean, again, I know she said that there was times where you guys put certain things next to her bed so that she can be with them and so on. But there was plenty of moments where she couldn't always do that. And I'm sure there was times where maybe, you know, maybe they couldn't, she couldn't go to one of their games or, or whatever. And I know, I mean, you know why she can't do it, but they're young and they don't know better. So was there ever times where you kind of had to make sure they knew that, you know, mommy is always there. It's just, you know, she's going through stuff that you don't understand. Yeah. To, to some degree, um, 
Um, you know, as I'm thinking back, I'm wondering, I, I can't think of a lot of specific times where I did that. And part of it might be because they're so young, they, I'm not sure how much they can understand that. Right. Other than what is right in front of them. Um, the bigger picture idea that, um, you know, your mom would be here if not for this. I don't, I don't know how much they register that. Yeah. Um, especially when they're a lot younger. So, um, and I, I sort of remember feeling like I have to, um, give them a, a, a source of confidence and security that, uh, that I, I don't want them to, to lack. So as much as I can, I just want to make them feel like I, I can sort of take, provide what she's not providing. Mm. But I don't know. I mean, I might, that may be a way that I didn't do enough in retrospect. I, I'm afraid it, it may be that I didn't explain enough to them. Maybe they were able to, I mean, I, I'm sure I said. Uh, I but, doubt it. Cause, I mean, you see what your daughter's, you know, going to school for, and again, like we talked about your, your wife's talked about it too. But your other daughter, you know, dating someone who has chronic illness. I mean, obviously, you guys did a great job. It's just maybe, maybe they were smarter than you thought. Maybe they picked up on more and and didn't need it. Because I mean, you obviously needed your time and your space. And I mean, a lot of the, the questions I'm asking you for them are really questions you already had gone through in your own mind. But you were an adult that's already developed and you know, you know, you're coming to terms with all of it and you, you you're mentally capable of thinking yeah. about it all, whereas they weren't. But I just wanted to know if, if there was just, if you, you know, kept them abreast on, you know, how powerful their mother was because it's, you know, you know, I mean, again, you have so much, you're juggling so many hats, if you will, and you're trying to be a father and, a, and a, you know, you're trying to work and you're trying to take care of your, you're trying to be a husband times 20 and, you're trying to do all these things and I'm sure there's conversations that maybe needed to be had, but just didn't. And, you know, time passed and they saw what they needed to see and then they realized what she was. I mean, obviously you guys have this bond that clearly is un unbreakable because you guys were definitely put to the test. Yeah. Well, I, I know for, for a fact, one thing I was very careful not to do was ever talk about her in a negative way to them and not, um, you know, in any way suggest that she, she wasn't going to make it or, or that, um, you know, never suggest to them. I thought it wasn't as bad as it looks or anything like that. I was, I, I was very protective of her in that way. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think, you know, I'm sure I, I've along the way was, careful to make sure they knew that she would be somewhere if she could. Mm. And so I think, I think I, I did a reasonably good job of that, but I think I could have done better. Um, sure. And the second time around, I think I was, I've been more that way because they are older and, and they are able to think more deeply and, and um, right. sort of see the big picture a little, a little more. So, right. And so, like, yeah. kind of question I, I did ask her that she didn't seem to like 
think or wasn't, I don't know, she didn't, as much as I thought it was, like, her, her, her battling and everything that she went through, like, how did, like, it, it clearly had an impact on the rest of the family, right? Like, you guys knew how strong she was. Like, did it, did it become, did it, like, run through the rest of the family? Like, did, did, you know, I mean, obviously, did it make you stronger and, and the kids stronger? Yeah, I think it did. I, I, I think it did um, in a, a lot of ways. I, I, you know, the, the girls aren't afraid of suffering. Um, in fact, they, they almost gravitate to it. Um, they, they're not, uh, reacting like they might have, which is, I don't want to have anything to do with that. And I'm going to dedicate my life to making sure I don't. I mean, they, they, they both not only are able, but I think are, are kind of drawn to that in a in a way of how can I help? How can I make a difference? And um, I, I have there's a I have a power of some kind that can, if not fix, at least offer some relief for people who are going through these things. And both of them have started out with feeling that towards children. But I'm I'm pretty hopeful and won't be surprised if, as they get older and older, it, they just become the people in in whatever group they're in who notice that folks are struggling and you know come to their side to uh, express concern and do what they can do and and not let people be in that all by themselves. Right. What do you think is the, the biggest thing you learned from all of this? I mean, obviously it's still ongoing, but what do you think is the biggest thing that you learned about like yourself? Because obviously there's a lot of metamorphosis that kind of changed with you over the years. I mean, some of it was all, like I said, that's why I wanted to talk about you in the beginning and where you came from. And obviously probably the most changing you did in your life is in the last 20 some years with her. Um, mm -hmm. So what, yeah, what do you think is the biggest thing you learned about yourself? You know, I think I've, um, I think I've learned to love in a very godly way, in a in a way that is is really the purest form of of loving I can I can imagine, which is to and I'm not I'm not God by any stretch, but I I'm able to imitate him to a degree, which is just give and focus on what someone needs and to the best of my ability, pour it out of me and into them. And it takes a lot of different forms. I mean, it takes much different form with my friends than it does my wife for obvious reasons and my kids from my friends and my parent, my, my mother who's still alive or my brothers and sisters, but, uh, that I can love with no strings attached and, and be someone in the lives of people around me that, uh, 
strengthen and encourage and and help them. Mm-hmm. And it's a long it's been a long road since being a latchkey kid at age eleven from a family that had uh, disintegrated and where I I didn't learn those skills from my my original family and and not again not to diss any of them because they're all good people in their own way but I this wasn't an area where they I could learn that and right. and yet I, uh, I I'm I love it that I think an area that that was really a weakness uh, has become a strength and and so I. I I'm happy about that. I think that's a positive transformation to look back on now that I'm in my 60s. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just kind of here in closing, I know one of the things you wanted to talk about just quickly of, uh, you know, knowing people that, that did want to leave and, and all that. Like, what do, what do you, like, just talk about being like a caregiver and, and what you think other care, like just any advice for caregivers out there that are, you know, Especially ones in yeah. your in your shoes, whether it's you know a, a child, a parent, whatever, just someone who's closer, not just a caregiver that gets paid to do it, but someone who's actually close to the other person. Um, yeah, and, yeah. I th- I guess I would say that I that the pain of it is legitimate, and that it, it's not wrong or bad or anything to be overly discouraged about when you see yourself very uneven in how well you do as a caregiver mm-hmm. and you, you see the ways you fail and um, to not, but, uh, and, and the ways you succeed, but to not get discouraged to the point of giving up when you see your failures, because, it's it's a very very difficult mission, <laughs> and uh, right. uh, and so you know it's it's not going to be just you know I don't I don't know if anyone ever gets to where they're just totally selfless and happily sacrificing, and um, I do think the ups and downs of it can can kind of be good because. For me, you know, the minute I start thinking of myself as this wonderful, compassionate person, I I trip over myself and I I fail at it. But it's funny because then, as as I'm sort of humbled by my failure, I become more caring and loving, and I do better the next time. So the the two things go together. They they just they're, they're just it's going to be a back and forth and an up and down and. and and that's normal, I think, and and that's okay. Um, yeah. so that'd be, that's the first thing that comes to my mind. Um, I think it's important to 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 have a to develop a support system before anything like this ever happens. So, I mean, to have strong relationships in your life, uh, because if you're just doing your own thing and you're out on a island, and these bad things happen, you can drown without someone to throw your lifeline. Right. So I, I think to, to build solid relationships, deep ones, not just having fun times, but to, to initiate and, and um, foster 
good deep friendships is is important and guys are probably not as good at that as women but I, I think we need to do that um and then you know honestly i, I kind of want to throw something out to people who know caregivers mm-hmm. and that is um is don't assume they got it covered <laughs> right? and don't let them, them be alone in it. And don't just ask how the suffering person, the person they're caring for is doing is ask how they're doing. Yeah. Um, because almost nobody does that. Yeah. Do and s- in do years, you sacrifice, and, to sacrifice parts of your life <clears throat> to take care of someone else and not your own or not your, not your own self. So, yeah, and people don't appreciate that, and and in the sense that they they don't even notice it. I mean, they kind of just go, "Oh, that's cool," yeah, well, that's you know, nice or and they sort of, yeah, yeah, they sort of think, "Well, that I do the same," or "That's that's good." She's covered, and yeah, um, I brought soup to my grandma one time. I know what you mean. I did the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but people, but people who, um the people who've noticed and and kind of come alongside of me have been very few. I could count them on probably one hand over the years. Mm -hmm. And so anybody who is listening to this and knows someone who's taking care of a parent or a spouse or a child or a friend or anybody, um, you can make a big difference for them by just, just engaging with them and asking them how it's going and, uh, if you respect what they're doing to tell them that because almost nobody says that either. Even, even as hard as you try to to do that, it's kind of a, if you're doing it for that reason, you're, you're going to stop doing it. But, <laughs> cause right. it, but I mean it like anybody who knows someone who's a caregiver to encourage them to just, I mean, I remember once a guy just said, Hey, let's go, let's go out to a, let's go out and have a beer and, and uh, a burger and just hang out. I mean, it, it was just like one of those joyful things I'd, I'd done in years of after taking care of my wife is just someone doing that with me and inviting me and, and sort of being sensitive enough to what I was going through to initiate that. It means, it means a ton and not only will it help the caregiver, but it'll help them, I think be, they're better able to take care of the person they're taking care of. Right. Bring some normalcy to your life that you just didn't even think existed anymore because you're just in this world that is unlike anyone else's. And, you know, someone actually yeah. says, hey, want to get a beer? And it's like, oh, that we, we can still do that. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, but I, I, I don't know. I hope you had fun. I hope I didn't ask any bad questions. Um yeah, like I said, I really yeah. enjoyed having you on. Um, I obviously, thank you just like I did with your wife. Thank you for being so honest because that's what I always want is just honest conversations and honest emotion, honest feelings because when you sugarcoat things and you just kind of let some stuff out, there's a lot of people out there that are struggling with being alone and they feel like they're not going through <clears> it. And when you leave certain parts out and they come around to the idea of like, oh, I guess I'm the only one even though there's plenty yeah. of people that are going through it as well. And 
you said something to me the other night about, you know, you, you know, you didn't want to come off as a hero or anything like that, but I guarantee if you asked your kids and you asked your wife that you are a hero to them, maybe you're not a hero to the world or whatever, but I don't think that really matters. I mean, you only need to be a hero to the people that love you most and the people that you're heroic to. Um, but I mean, you're very inspiring and I'm glad to, to know you and, you know, call you a friend and just, you know, hope we can keep in touch. And like I said, I'd happy to share your story. I know you, you thank me for wanting to be open and tell it, but it's just as important to me to get it out there and people want to do it. Not everybody wants to be as honest as you because some people are embarrassed by it or some people just don't have the courage to share it like you do. But, you know, obviously, you know, it helps people. And uh, like I said, you're an amazing guy and I'm, I'm you know, glad to, to know you. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, um, you, you know, you are, you see things most people don't see because you've been through a lot yourself yeah. and you, you're showing you're a shining example. Of what I was talking about is things can either make you better or tear you down. And, and I, I really celebrate how much you've allowed your own experiences to yeah. Not only make you better, but also find this way of sh- yeah. kind of sharing this kind of thing. So I, I salute you for that, man. Yeah, I mean, thank you. It means a lot. And as I've said many times, you know, sometimes the people who see the most or the people who see the least see the most. I see a lot of things that, you know, maybe physically I can't see, but I, I try to look <clears> past <throat> all the other shit that gets in the way and convolutes our brains. And, uh, you know, I deal with my mental health every day. I deal with things all the time and, trying to find a way to better my life as I also try to help better other people's lives. And I don't have a clue on how to do it with my own. So I'm just trying to do some good because there's a lot of bad and there's a lot of, you kind of forget what is out there. You kind of forget people like you, you forget about these stories and you, you look at the suffrage that your wife went through, but you don't, sometimes we don't look at the courage and, and, and all the things that she has, even though she gets through it, even though she's cried a lot and, and cursed and yelled and so on but we, we forget about all the amazing things that she has overcome. And, um, yeah. and we, we forget about people like you and we forget about all the wonderful people that are doing great things because there is so much negativity. There is so much badness. You know, I, I just quickly, I do a job where I'm out and my other job is where I'm out in the public and I'm filling vending machines and I'm always around people and people mm-hmm. are just bickering. Oh, you're not mm-hmm. wearing a mask. Oh, you're wearing a mask. And they're, it's like they, they never want to interact with each other. They don't want to hold doors for each other. Yeah. They don't, it's just, it's just ignorance and Crazy. just, you know, and like for me, I can't get the vaccine because of how allergic I am to so many medications and all that. And, you know, I, I don't put it out there like I need to make an excuse to people, but there's people that will avoid me because I don't wear a mask or because I won't get vaccinated. And it's not a statement where I'm putting it on a shirt saying, you know, I'm, I'm an anti-vaxxer or any of that. It's, <laughs> but it's just like, we, we find every reason to not be kind to each other. We find every reason to just hate each other and, put out negative energy and it's just, I'm just, it's just so tired of it because it's just, it's training on, on the mind. Yeah. Cause every time you look on TV or anywhere, it's just something bad and somebody arguing about something else. And it's just, people aren't being kind to each other and it's terrible. And, and that's why I do what I do. Cause I wanted people to know what all the good things that people are doing out here and all the things that people are overcoming. And so, uh, well, good for you. I mean, I love it. I love it. What you're doing and, and you're making a difference. PJ, so I'm trying, buddy. I'm trying. Yeah, my hat's off to you. Yeah, um, I would ask if you have anything to promote, but I don't think you do, right? Well, I uh, my wife wrote a pretty good book about all this, 
So yeah, um, I well, yeah. I'll, I'll put the description in both episodes just for the hell of it. Yeah, um, I was already yeah. going to. I mean, it'll be out sometime next year. It'll be a little while, but I promise it'll come out. And part of me wants to put it out earlier, but um, <clears throat> but yeah, no, I, I really do thank you for coming on. And regardless, we'll we'll talk outside this and after this whole thing. But um, but just being honest with your story, it's, you know, it's very refreshing. And, uh, like I said, hopefully we'll talk soon. And like I said, I wish you guys nothing but the best. I'm so happy you guys have each other. All right. I appreciate a, a ton TJ. So, yeah. um, yeah, all the best to you. Same to you, buddy. Okay. All right, brother. Thanks. All right. Bye. All right, guys. I am, <laughs> ah, man. I don't know. I was very. I was a. Mo- I was an emotional roller coaster. I think I've said that multiple times. But man, I don't like. It's just. It was it's such a great episode. It was definitely. I, I shouldn't play favorites, but that's definitely one of my favorite ones I've ever done. Um, but it made me sad multiple times. Just, I I could put myself in both of their shoes, and, you know, obviously I could put myself more in Darcy's shoes than his. But I've been there for other people and. Yeah, it's rough, man. It's rough. There's a lot of people struggling right now, and I, I, I don't know. I just always want to do the best I can do as a person, and I don't know. I don't always succeed at that. I don't always. I'm not always my best self. I'm not always who I want to be because so much has happened to me, and I'm not trying to live in the past because, <clears throat> um, you know, there's so much going on currently, and 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 I've evolved so much from you know, my trauma and all that. And I just look at someone like these two and, you know, obviously I'm so happy to know them, but I'm just so happy they exist, whether I knew them or not. And just to know how many of these people do exist. And I want to try to find as many as I can because this world is perceived to be this dark, horrible, you know, succubus of a world that just sucks energy and just people all want is greed and money and, God, there's so much more than that, and I want to find a way to just be around these people because this is the energy I need in my life. And um, I know it's been a long couple episodes here, so uh, but I just had to get this off my chest. So yeah, guys, I hope everybody's just having a good time. And if you made it through this, thank you. And and just please, just man, like I said, look out for each other. Look out for the people that are struggling. And and as he said, you know, there's people that are doing more than you think. And you know, these caregivers, man, take care of them. If you know somebody who's going through this same situation, just call them up and ask them how they're doing. Um, so I will see you guys on the uh, the next episode, and um, just take care, and uh, we'll see you next week. All right, guys. Bye.